Are you looking to buy a car? Want to make sure you get real pricing on cars that are actually available? Because you know, sometimes people configure cars online only later to find out they're not available. This is where True Car enters, where you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is pricing offered by an actual dealer, a True Car certified dealer, a dealer committed to offering you a competitive market price. So here are the five things you need to know about True Car. You can find the car you want. You can see what other people in your area paid for the same car you're looking for. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users, and True Car users save an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. And the biggie, you will work directly with a True Car certified dealer, a human being. So when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident buying experience. Some features not available in all states. The following program is a Forbes and Podcast One production. Hey, I'm Denise Ristari, and you're listening to Mentoring Moments, a podcast where smart, witty, and bold women are sharing their triumphs and their skids. We aren't just talking, we're taking action, and we're inviting you to join us every week in my New York City apartment. And joining me at my kitchen table today is Gloria Felt. She's a self-made woman who is all about taking action. She was a teen mom, a high school dropout from Texas, who became president and CEO of Planned Parenthood. And she's now the co-founder of Take the Lead, with a big mission to achieve gender parity in leadership and pay by 2025. Now, that is huge. That is huge. And if anyone can do it, she's sitting there across from me right now, nodding her head, because if anyone can do it, Gloria Felt will do it. But it's a huge mission. Take the Lead is a breakthrough program, and I love this because it is about training, it's about mentoring, and it's about thought leadership. So we just can't say we're going to take action, right? We need the tools to take action, and that's sometimes what stops us from taking action is we just don't know how. We don't know how to get, we don't know what our attention should be, how to get to where we want to go, and that's what Gloria and Take the Lead, that's what they're doing. She's a mom and a stepmom of six, and she's a grandmom of 15. And you don't look that old, honey, I got to tell you, (laughs) but you started young. And she thinks you should put, and I love this, Gloria, that you should put parenthood on your resume. And I agree. And I think by doing that, we send such a huge message of what is important in life because being a parent is really, really important. She loves social media. I love when I tweet. She always retweets me. So that's a hint to everyone. Follow her. She'll retweet you. She's a fabulous speaker, an exercise fanatic, and she says she makes damn good chili. So there's a Super Bowl coming up and it's like, I know where I'm going. She's the author of four books. Most recently, her book is No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power. And she teaches at Arizona State, and she says she's learned everything through her job and life. So, Gloria, welcome. I am so happy. And for people who have been listening to the podcast, Tammy Tibbetts introduced us, another one of those millennials bringing us doing great things that by mentoring someone, great things happen for us. 
Absolutely. Denise, it is such a pleasure to be here with you. And thank you for that very generous introduction. And yes, I do make really good chili. I can't so wait to we'll find to, out. We'll, I just invited know, myself. You, you, can, you can decide, red or green. Oh, I, I do both. Ooh. So, you know, we, 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 can, uh, we need to have two parties. Okay. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm with you. All I'm right. with you. So here is my mentoring moment. A week ago, I was going to a memorial service for my dear friend, Joyce. And I call up an Uber and I go downstairs and there's this guy standing outside of his car. And I come out the door and he puts his hand out and he says, hi, I'm Moses and I think I'm your Uber driver. And he has this energy and enthusiasm. And I get in the car, he offers me lifesavers, water, asks me how I'm doing. And just with, but not just the, how are you doing? He's like, and how are you doing? He's just really enthusiastic. So I say, you know, in general, my life is great, but today's just really sad. I'm going to a memorial service for my friend. And I said, so let's talk about you. And we start talking about him and he tells me how much he loves his job. And I used to hear that from Uber drivers when Uber first launched here in New York, but I don't hear it as much anymore. So I started to ask him, why do you love your job? And he said, it's because of the flexibility. I make good money. I work really hard. I work six days a week, 12 hours a day, but I'm an entrepreneur. And I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but didn't know how to be one. So I said, well, what drove you to it then? I mean, this is no pun intended there. What drove you to it? And he said, I used to drive for a different company as an employee. And I did that for 11 years. And I just didn't like it anymore. And everyone would say to me, but that's what you do. And he said, one day I thought, you know, Moses, you do more than that. You have skills. You can be an entrepreneur. So why don't you take your driving skills and become an entrepreneur? And so that led into Uber. So his enthusiasm is just contagious as he's telling this story and he's smiling the whole time. And I said, you know, you're, the people that you drive, they must love being, I'm, I'm loving being with you and I'm going somewhere that is sad. But on a normal day, people must like really love being with you. And he said, well, I'll tell you a story about, I picked up these three people one night and they were going to a karaoke bar. And they invited me to go with them. So I was like, well, what the heck? Because I love karaoke. And so I said, is there a song that you love to sing at karaoke? And he said, there is. And I said, will you sing it for me? And he's like, sure. And this I'm going to play now is Moses. I recorded him. He's on video. I'm going to put it up on social um, that we can see him as well. But I'm going to play his song. You know the rules, and so do I. I'm so commitment's what I'm thinking of. Get this from. I just wanna tell you how I'm feeling. Gotta make you understand. Never gonna give you up. Never gonna let you down. Never gonna run around and desert you. Never gonna make no. Not only was I excited to know that my Uber driver was never going to let me down or make me cry, but bigger than that, because that's always a good thing not to have, have your Uber driver not make you cry, but bigger than that was the energy that this man, that Moses had. And what a great name, right? So the story gets better, though. I get to the memorial service, 
And the three people who were talking about Joyce, her husband, her daughter, and the rabbi, all say something in common, that Joyce loved meeting strangers because of the unexpected surprises that strangers brought into her life, and hopefully what she could bring to the strangers' lives. And it was one of those moments where I was like, coincidence? You know, this is like one of those moments in life where you take that deep breath of saying, I just met a man who is a stranger, who sang me a song, who reminded me that we all need to love what we're doing, whatever it is we're doing. Because when we love it, not only do we make our days, but we make other people's days so much brighter. So that's my mentoring moment. Thanks to Moses and to my dear friend, as I hold my hands together, to my dear friend Joyce, because somehow I know she has something to do with this. She was my speaking coach. Uh, and so I think she was like, okay, I'm going to send you a mentoring moment here. <laughs> I, she always would say, I love what you're doing. It's like, I'm sending you a mentoring moment. What a great story. What a great story. And yes, to have someone named Moses lead you to that promised land yes. is, is quite wonderful. It's just, you know, the metaphors are everywhere. And, 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 and to be driving you and to, to have that connection with your friend and, and to give you something that really has, will, will stand you in good stead. You'll remember that forever. And I have to say, as you were telling the story, one other message that I got from it. So now this is, I've just had a little mentoring moment myself here unexpectedly is you can be sour and dour in the same job. And how much happier are you when you're smiling and interacting with people and giving people of yourself? Oh, definitely. Doesn't that make your day better? Doesn't that make your job better? Doesn't that make everything better? So if only we could all be like Moses every day, that would be wonderful. And and the thing is, we can, right? I think we sometimes get stuck. Libby Moore was on the podcast recently, and she was Oprah's chief of staff for 11 years. And she went to Rikers Island um, a couple weeks ago to visit the um, boys in Rikers Island. And she was talking about how they truly are in prison, but how we get stuck in the prisons of our own mind. And a lot of times it doesn't matter how much money we have. It doesn't matter. All those things we let our minds keep us there. And, you know, I think being an Uber driver has to be a tough job. But you don't always get nice, wonderful people like me or you. You get people who aren't in a good mood. And he was even talking about that because I said to him, what happens when you get someone in the car who doesn't want to talk? He said, this is their ride. And this is really interesting. He said, and that's their choice. But they're really missing out on getting to meet Moses. <laughs> and I thought, if we all could, not in an egotistical way, right, but that we're doing something or that we value ourselves enough that we think we are interesting enough for people to want to meet us right. versus the, I'm going to go sit over in the corner because I'm not as interesting as that person over there. So I just think there was it was just such a great, great mentoring moment for me. Then that takes me to you, and I want to hear your mentoring moment, but you love what you do. Oh, totally. I, You know, it's I've been so lucky in my whole life in that it, even though I didn't plan out the career I was going to have, the truth is I've never done anything that I didn't love doing. I would say with one exception, it was the one week I spent in retail and I got fired pretty quickly because I didn't like it and I wasn't good at it. And um, I was supposed to be, uh, I was helping out when a store was first opening and they hired a whole bunch of people so they could see 
who would be kept and who would not be kept. Well, I was clearly, I clearly did not make the cut. And for very good reason, that was not for me. But uh, after that, since then, really everything I have done, my work has been my play and my play has been my work. And the only downside to that is, of course, that you, you, I have some boundary issues <laughs> with my life. But I, I feel very fortunate in that I have always been able to do things that I believe in passionately and that I was able to make my life's passion into a life's work. And I want to get to that because I, I do want to circle back to that, but I want to make sure we get your mentoring yes, moment. Okay. So I want your mentoring, well, mentoring moment, moment then we're going to back to that. The mentoring moment is very much tied in with what I just said. Oh, good. When I first started in my career, it, 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 it's not going to be surprising that, that I, you know, I, I had very traditional ideas of what women could and should do. So I imagined that I would be a teacher when I decided that I would start to college because I really needed to be able to earn some income, having three little children in case I ever needed to support them on my own. And I, I began also volunteering for some community service work, mostly in civil rights related organizations and great society related organizations as some of the new social programs were being developed in the late 60s. And one of the things I did in volunteering was that I volunteered at Head Start a couple of times every week when it was a brand new program. And I, it, the Head Start in Odessa, Texas, if anybody knows the oil patch of Odessa, Texas, it's not the garden spot of the world, not the place where you would most likely expect that some of these more progressive programs would even exist. And so it won't surprise you to know that the woman who started this program was not your typical manager of anything. She was a journalist. She had been a woman doing hard news journalism in, you know, at a time when women really didn't do much of that. She was crabby and crusty and a lot of people couldn't get along with her very well. Her name was Mildred, Mildred Chaffin. And I volunteered there as the Head Start program was getting started. And then I, one day I went to Mildred and I said, I really have enjoyed volunteering here, but next year I'm going to have to go to work and to, because my children will all be in school. I'm going to get a, you know, a regular every day of the week job. She hired me on the spot as a teacher, although I did not have my degree yet. And I, I that was that was a mentoring moment that I didn't realize was a mentoring moment, but it gets better. So Mildred kept asking me to take on roles that I would never have said, please let me do this. She, sometimes it wasn't even pleasant. She would ask me to do things. Well, obviously she would have responsibilities and she didn't want to have to do it. So she'd give me a project so that she would have done whatever she was required to do. One of them was to develop a parent-child interaction program that I'm really happy to say is still at the heart of, of what Head Start does now, working with parents, not just children, to, to help the children grow and develop. So I had the opportunity, uh, or I was, I was asked to and did 
because Mildred asked me, to create one of the first parent-child interaction programs, create a report from it, give this report to some people from the, the leadership at the national level who came to see how we were doing. And that whole thing was an experience I would have never had. I would have never held my hand up and said, I want to take on that leadership role. I wanted to be a classroom teacher. That was, that was what I aimed to do. Well, after five years of teaching at Head Start, I was uh, very fortunate that the University of Texas opened a branch in Odessa, and that gave me the opportunity to complete my degree and get my full teaching credentials, which is what I wanted to do. So I left Head Start. I enrolled to get my degree. I didn't see Mildred for about a year while I was doing that. And in the following summer, someone told me that Mildred was in the hospital, that she had what was apparently terminal breast cancer. And I went to see her in the hospital, went to visit her. And as I was leaving, she handed me an envelope. I didn't look at it at the time. I took it home with me. And when I got home, I opened the envelope. And what I found inside of it was a letter of recommendation. To think that someone who knew she was terminally ill was taking the time to write letters of recommendation for people who had worked for her just boggled my mind. It, I started crying right then and there. It's it was so touching. Hearing it was, story. I mean, it was so touching. And I put it aside, and I was still finishing my last coursework, planning to go do student teaching in the fall. And serendipitously, I was asked to apply for an executive director position with a small, relatively new Planned Parenthood affiliate in West Texas. And I thought to myself, well, I'm imminently unqualified. I am in no danger of being hired, but I've never had a formal job interview before. So it would be a very good experience to actually put together a resume and go through the process. I'll learn something from it. So I sent in the resume. They called me in for an interview. They called me for a second interview, and they asked for references. And the only real job I had had of any significance was that job teaching at Head Start. So I gave them the letter of recommendation from Mildred. And much to my surprise, they offered me that job. They offered me that position. And I thought, well, I'll do it for a few years and go back to teaching. However, as you already said, 30 years later, I retired as the president, the national president of Planned Parenthood Federation of America. You never know when one thing that you take maybe 30 minutes, maybe five minutes to do, maybe like Moses singing you that song, you never know in your life when you take just a little bit of time to do one thing for another person, how it may impact her entire life. And so I love to tell that story in honor of Mildred and to encourage everyone. I would have never considered her a mentor. I would have never thought of her in that way. But clearly, that's what she was doing intentionally. Right. And who knows if she, you know, I'm sure she wrote other letters like that for other people 
and who knows what has happened with all of us as a result. Well, she also was able to see in you what you didn't see in yourself, so right? True. Which so is the, true. one of the biggest things a mentor, a friend, anyone in your life can do for you is to be able to see what you can be. When sometimes we are in the prison of our own minds and we can't, yes. like you wanted to be a school to not think, sometimes we don't even know what we can be because we don't know what we can be. That's true. And that's particularly true for women because we haven't always had role models to show us what we can be on a large stage a large platform in a, in a in a higher level position and for women we 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 not only haven't seen it but then we begin to not see that value in ourselves we we don't even think about it i mean would i have ever thought of myself as being the ceo of anything are you kidding me never never would i have ever imagined and it's as it turns out, this is the other funny serendipity. As it turns out, it was a perfect fit for my skills and personality, but I would have never known that. And what were, what, what were some of those skills and personality that were a perfect fit for the CEO president? The, the skills were, and these are, I think, not unrelated to parenthood also, which is also why mm. I say we should put parenthood on our resume because what teaches you more? Nothing I, teaches you more I'm than with being you. a parent. So first of all, it's being willing to take an almost uh, in, uh, endless level of responsibility in order to have the capacity to make decisions, judgments, to be able to actually make things happen, to be able to have a vision of what can be and bring together the resources to make it happen. You have to be willing to take the responsibility for it. You know, as Harry Truman had the sign on his desk, the buck stops here. And for a lot of people, that's really hard. It turned out for me, it was just natural. And I, I really attribute some of that to becoming a parent at such an early age. I mean, the buck stopped there. Right. And I, I just had to figure it out. I had to learn it. I had to do it. And so I carried those skills with me. So that's one. Another is, mm, is something that grew along the way. And that is having the courage to make judgments having the courage to own the responsibility for those judgments and to, to grow the courage muscles by making mistakes to know that it's okay. It's all right. You will survive. You will live over it. You will learn from it. It's hard, but yeah. I agree. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. Right. Yeah. So th those, I think those were some of the things. And, and as time went on, I got better at seeing big picture long-term. And, but I had to do it in order. I learned it all, literally learned it all on the job. I mean, those first few months, I broke out in hives right. every day because I knew I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> but I think that's part of where we have to give ourselves that break. And this is for men, more so for women, but it's for all of us, that we're not always ready for that next job. We're not always ready for that next speaking engagement, right? We're not always ready for parenthood. We're never ready. Right. We're never, We're ready. never I, ready. I'm actually working on a speech right now. Um, I, I, I've been speaking a lot about intentionality lately because I think it's, that's another really important thing for women. We don't have less ambition than men, as best I can 
ascertain. But what I see is we have less intentionality, less intention, because we tend to see the locus of power outside of ourselves. We've been socialized to think first about what other people think about us. Yes. So we're less inclined to 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 approach the world from an I own it already <laughs> place and and have this intention about what we're going to do. We we, we are more likely to think about, well, well, you know, is this the right thing to do? How is somebody going to feel if I do it? How is this, or somebody not going to like me if I make this decision or if I go this direction? And so I've been talking a lot and speak, doing a lot of speaking and teaching about intentionality. And I, I usually talk about it and, and, and tell a story about how I, I gained these three ideas of intentionality as being vision, courage, and action. And last night I was starting to put together this next speech that I'm going to do on that topic. And I thought, you know, I'm actually going to do this one in a different order. I'm going to talk about having vision, action, and courage. Because sometimes you have to just take the action. To and find the, the process of doing the action gives you the confidence that you need to actually have the courage I love to that. step out and do it the next time. So I'm, I'm playing with that idea. I, I, I would go with that. I love that. And that takes me to what are we doing now as women after the march after what what should be doing whether there's a march there isn't a march what do you see happening what do you want to see happen what should women be doing now it's a great question as, as a longtime activist and and as we as i was thinking about the march coming up i started searching in my files for all the old pictures of myself at marches various and sundry marches and, um, and if you posted them on your wall that could oh be like a crime heaven. scene the first one the hair was just unbelievably the awful the fbi could be coming after you if they looked <laughs> Right. <laughs> and then there, and then there was the March in 2004 when I had the the great privilege of being on the front line. There were 1.2 million people behind me. We had to start an hour earlier than we had anticipated because the crush of so many people ready to march was just out in. It, it, you couldn't. You couldn't so you had stand to open still. The gates, literally, you had to get moving. Right. And uh, uh, Madeline Albright was standing right next to me, and she was like a little tank. You know, she's like, "All right, we're going." So we went, and. He, well, what I what I what I believe is that there is a time to march. You can't put a march together just willy nilly. You can't do it just any day that you happen to decide. Oh, we should have a march. There has to be a moment, and there's always a moment where people have this collective upswell of passion, of maybe it's anger for some people, maybe it's sadness and despair for other people, but whatever it is, it's, it's, it's energy that needs to be harnessed and marching, taking our physical bodies and saying, we are here, we are here. Look at us. We are a force to be reckoned with and just standing together with so many people who, you know, share your values is a most amazing experience. I, I still meet people every day who say, you know, that March in 2004 is what made me an activist. And I've been, I've been being an activist ever since. That's great. Well, that's what a March needs to do. So it's great that there's going, that there, that there is being a March. It's great that women are marching right now. And it's even more wonderful that there are marches all over the country. And in fact, all over the world, I believe at last count, there yes. were what, 300 or something like yes, that. When you look marches. at the map, it's yeah, incredible. Just everywhere. There, there's this huge upsurge of energy, but marching alone is just the beginning. The real, real value in marching is what you do afterward. 
And I'm really proud of my Take the Lead Leadership Ambassadors for organizing an action party. And that's that's what they're doing. They're doing action parties that, that will help people take that energy of the march and, and, and move it into action plans about what they're going to do. You know, we're hearing that there's, there's a big upsurge in the numbers of women who are signing up for programs that help them learn how to run for office. Yes. That's terrific. That's, that's one important thing. But it's also extremely important for women to be in leadership roles in every sector. Because if you think about it, it's, it's the people who actually are able to, to mobilize financial resources that can play a huge role in whether something gets done or doesn't get done. And so it's important to have women in, in positions in corporations, in companies of every size, from Fortune 500 on down to or up to, as you depending right. on how you look at it, to entrepreneurial ventures. And I truly think that when women start growing companies with the kind of wealth that the that that a, say you know I'm looking for the next Bill Gates, the next Steve Jobs, the next Mark Zuckerberg, I want it to be a woman. I want those to all be women. People who build wealth and new ideas and technologies at that level. Those are incredible. I mean, that, those are incredible world changers. It's not just the business they create, but they're actually able to change how people live their lives and they have such opportunities to do things for the good of the world. So it's important. that's why it's important for women to be, and that's why I take the lead, and that's why I am giving the rest of my life to getting women to leadership parity across every sector. Because I think when that happens and when there's power sharing between men and women on a relatively equal basis, that we will have a stronger, healthier economy, a better world for everybody. Families will be healthier and happier. We already see that companies that have more women in their leadership make more money. So what else do you need, right? right. Yeah, that's the and practical I, part. And I think as women, we and we've talked about this, thinking big. We just really have to think big. And that goes into what you were just saying about maybe vision comes and action come before courage Yes, because we can think big, but then sometimes that action doesn't happen because we think, Oh, it's not me. Right. I'm not that person. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that's one of the things. And I agree with you that as we move forward, we have to keep taking the actions. It can't be, I did the March. Isn't that great? I went out there and, and that's great. That mm -hmm. is great. But there's, we've got to continue this on and really take serious actions to keep moving the needle because we are going to have, it's going to be ups and downs and ups and downs. And we need to be able to have that strength and courage. Yes. Yes. To and, keep us going. And there will be pebbles in the road. And yes. We will trip. Yes. We will trip. There will be pebbles in the road. There will be moments like we're in right now where it feels like we're having a step backwards. Yes. But the truth is, if you look at the long arc of history, as Martin Luther King calls it, you always see that at least the next time you start from a place that's a little further ahead than you were before you had that setback. So, so it's, that's where the optimism comes from. And the optimism comes from knowing that every action we take really does, really can have a positive effect 
on ourselves and on other people, whether it's singing a song to, to your writer or whether it's, it's, it's pulling together a march for a million people in, in Washington. Yeah. Whatever you do, uh, creating a new technology, starting a new company, uh, teaching a classroom of children, uh, having children yourself and, and, and raising them to be good, upstanding citizens, all of those things add to the collective good. And it's amazing what human beings can create. And it's amazing what human beings can destroy. I so keeping agree. ourselves on the side of what can we create. Yes. Yeah. And we have to stay hard. there. Yeah. A lot of young women, and I, I know you work with a lot of young women as well, but there is a fear factor right now for a lot of young women. They're afraid of what the future holds. And... And I understand that. I can see where that fear comes from. But we've got to get rid of the fear and make that a positive. And so, because we can't live in the fear, we've got to live in the what we can make happen and what great can what greatness do we have? What I what I call it is is uh, you you may not be able to get rid of the fear, but you can take the energy of it. You can take the energy of that fear, and you can turn it into into an energy that propels you forward. Yes. You can take that's a better that way energy. of defining. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the other things, you know, I, I inadvertently wrote a leadership book when I wrote this last book, No Excuses, Nine Ways Women Can Change How We Think About Power. I intended it truly as a social commentary book and other people saw in it that, that there were these nine tools that I had written into the book that, that are leadership tools. Oh, right. You're right. That's actually what I've been doing. Duh. I didn't see it. Again, other people saw more in me than I saw in myself. So there's another mentoring moment for you. Uh, the first the first group that asked me to teach a workshop. Right. And, and, and you weren't 12 at the time. No, I right? wasn't 12 you, at the time. I was a grandmother already. Right. Yes. You I was had a lot of a successful experience. Yes, and we right. still go was, there. Exactly. But I think that's what's great, yeah. though, because we don't always, no matter how secure we are, we don't see what we can be no matter what we need to be able to help each other and say what if you can yes and we all have our days of setbacks yes you know we all have our our difficult days i I know when i do uh when i do teach these courses and workshops and and even when i do the monthly virtual happy hours that i do that are just webcast interviews with with interesting women i i find that when i look at the titles of the women who sign up for those i'm blown away i mean ceos corporate counsel uh managing partners, I'm thinking to myself, I'm thinking young women are going to want to have these skills and maybe women in their mid careers who are trying to think about what their next move is. They're going to need these skills, but I never meet a woman who doesn't feel she needs more, right? More, more learning. And it's good. That's really a good it's thing. Great. It's I a good it's thing. Great. I, think I think it's great. I think it's great. They're that. signing yeah. up. I, I think because a lot of times it can be like, I don't want to do that because it's not, it's right. for beginners, right. but we're all beginners. Every day we start out with something fresh, something new that's going to come to us. And now we're going to do our, I'm done with that segment. But first check this out from audible. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook with a 30-day trial membership. So Audible content includes an unmatched selection of audiobooks, original audio shows, news, comedy, and more from the leading audiobook publishers and broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. You get it all. Just go to audible.com Forbes and browse the huge selection of audio programs. Download a title for free and start listening. It's really that easy. So I just ordered Bossy Pants by Tina Fey, 
because for the past year I've been saying, I want to read Bossy Pants because I've heard it has great stories, great jokes, great mentoring moments, but I just don't have the time to read all of the books that are currently on my nightstand. But now my problem solved because I can listen to it while I'm cooking. So what about you? Is the new year and you still have that same old commute? Well, now you can let traffic crawl while your pulse races. You can't make more time. I wish we could, but you can make the most of it. You can turn your commute into something more with a free trial. Just go to audible.com slash Forbes. That's F-O-R-B-E-S and browse the huge selection. If you want to know what really goes on in the minds of Hollywood celebs like Kate Beckinsale, Rob Lowe, Vince Vaughn, Mindy Kaling, Ewan McGregor, Tandy Newton, The Edge, Kristen Ritter, and many more, then download Off Camera with Sam Jones. Sam goes one-on-one with Hollywood's A-list and gets real every week. Find out for yourself now on the Podcast One app, iTunes, or at PodcastOne.com. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine and More. Did you know there were over one million bubbles in a glass of champagne? Did someone say brunch? Leave the egg hunting to the kids. We'll have even more fine hunting for your brilliant brunch, Riesling. Ham's sweet and salty richness pairs perfectly with sweeter wines with bold fruit. How about a juicy Pinot Noir? Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine and More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! You're listening to Mentoring Moments with Denise Rastari. So it's now time to do the things that we're done with in life. What are we done with? So I'll start off so I can give you a chance to, I'm done with, and this really, I get a lot of my mentoring moments from Paul, my hairdresser. He's so insightful. And we were talking the other day and I was saying about, I was struggling with something and he's like, honey, the answer is in front of you. Don't make it so difficult. The answer is in front of you. And I kept thinking about that and I thought, he's right. I really make things difficult. They can be simple. The answer could be in front of me, but it's so simple that I think that can't be the right answer. I need to look sideways. I need to look left. I need to look right. I need to look behind me and I need to look into the future versus just right in front of me. So I'm done with not seeing what is in front of me. Mm. as the solution or the vision, whatever it is, it's usually right there. That's a great one. That, that's actually my power tool number three. Use what you've got. Right. There you go. <laughs> and what you need is always there, but you don't always have the wisdom to see it. Right. And why is that, so, do you think? I don't know. I don't know. Because we're we're into our, we're into our own heads right. in a way that who knows? Who knows why we can't see outward sometimes. So what am I done with? I'm done with nice I'm done with nice. Not that it's not good to be nice. Not that I want to be rude to anyone. But I find that, and and I know this is totally socialization, I I find that I have a pattern of listening interminably to people when I either don't agree with them or I think it's a waste of both of our times or I think it's nuts what they're saying and I really, you know, I, I really need to get my word in there. And, and, but I've been taught to be nice. I've been taught to listen. I've been taught to let other people go first. And I'm, at least I'm done with too much nice. I'm, I'm ready to appreciate the power of my own thinking and my own voice more. And I should give my husband some credit for having taught me something about that. He went with me one time when I was doing a radio talk show, you know, one of those adversarial ones where people are yelling at each other. 
and now he's a guy who grew up on the streets of Brooklyn, okay? So this gives you a little insight into, and when we left, he said, you got to learn to interrupt. And he literally has taught me how to interrupt people. Now, what I also had to learn as a woman, there's always a two-edged sword. So I have had to learn the exquisite skill of waiting just long enough that the other people are starting to look like jerks. Right. And I can interrupt at a time when it makes me look like I am authoritative and powerful as opposed to just being a jerk myself. So it's been a quite an interesting skill to have to learn, but I'm practicing it. And I appreciate that my, my, my dear husband is the person who has taught me how to interrupt. And that is so important because if we don't interrupt, then we look weak. Yes. So you got to balance that. So you take the, it's not that you're not being not nice. How's that for a lot of knots in one sentence? But you're not, <laughs> but you are still being nice, but you do have something to say. One of the other things Libby Moore and I were talking about last week was fake laughs oh. at people, right? Yeah. So when someone says something and you're sitting there thinking that's just idiotic and we do the fake laugh, mm-hmm. she was like, I'm done with fake laughing. I'm now going to express mm-hmm. what I think and say, I don't understand that. So I was doing a panel with Libby and we were doing mentoring moments and someone in the audience asked her a question and she said, I want to make sure I understand that. And she started to answer it. And she said to the person in the audience that I answer your question. And the person said, well, not really. So Libby said, ask me the question again then. And the woman asked her the question again. And Libby said, I'm still not getting, it's not you, it's me, but I'm still really not getting the question. And I thought, I applaud her for that. Instead of maneuvering her way around the question. And so somebody else in the audience helped and said, I think I get it. I, I understand what she's asking. I think I could answer that question because I've been in that situation. And it opened everything up for somebody else to have a voice. But just being your authentic self and saying, I don't get it. It doesn't mean I'm stupid. It means I'm not understanding it. But how many times as a woman, or I'll speak for myself, how many times someone will say, do you know so-and-so? And I'm like, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I know the name. Well, yeah, I do yes, know right, the name, right? right? Or you heard, because you don't want to think Or like, actually, I don't have a clue. Right. <laughs> now I just say, no, so why don't you tell me about her or uh-huh. him? Right. So it's really freeing when, and being able to interrupt, it's really important so that we are heard because otherwise we will never heard. That is correct. Yes. The, the forces around us are very noisy. Right. And, uh, and, and our voice counts, our voice matters. And so it's not a ma- It's not, it's not that we're trying to over talk other people really. It's that we do deserve a place at the table. We deserve a place at the, at the, in the discussion. And again, it comes back to where we started of women valuing ourselves enough and men too, valuing ourselves enough to to give ourselves the opportunity to express ourselves yes. in an honest, authentic kind of way. And, and, and you're actually not being helpful to other people by not being honest, by the way. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and I think you're sure, I mean, I, I agree with you. But tell me what you're thinking, because I want, I want well, to see you what know, you're I was thinking just about going that. To, I was going to tie it into the, you know, I'm obsessed with the whole issue of power, and I study that all the time. And it often happens that we concede more time and airtime and space and authority to people who hold power. And it really doesn't help them if we're all just bowing down to them and accepting whatever they say as being gospel truth and at face value. It really helps them more. I know in my own in my own career, the people who have helped me the most 
have been the people who are willing to tell me what they really thought, even if, and especially if, it was different from what I was thinking and what I was doing. And many times I have been helped to see something differently, to be more open to some other people or other ideas. And more importantly, I've been helped not to make really stupid mistakes because someone on my team had the courage and the ego strengths to say, you know, I think you need to take another look at that. I think maybe here's A, B, C, D. Maybe we should go a different direction here. That's what's really helpful. Being honest is really more helpful to other people. So here's a question, though. You are a nice person. So having you as a boss, I'm sure you may have your moments. But but what about someone who is in the workplace, a young woman, who doesn't have a boss that's so nice? How does she challenge him or her? Well, I have to laugh that you assume that I'm nice because I have have a reputation of, of having a look. Me too. People will talk about... Uh oh, she's got the look now. This from my children to everybody I've ever worked with, they, they will give me that feedback, and I still have the look. And in fact, I found a picture of myself at six months where I already had the look. So, you, know, I was so just, you were born. I was just it. born this way with this look. But whatever it is, it it can intimidate people. It's it's a great question for young women, and it it all again it ties into their own sense of their own uh, their own power, their own self worth, and their own value. And obviously, you can't just go around. Uh, challenging everybody when you're just starting out in a role because you haven't yet earned your credibility to do that. But even with very, even with very young people in the workplace, I still think that if, when, when they, if they can develop a way of saying straightforwardly, not with rancor, not with anger and not with judgment, but a straightforward statement of here's what I see as the situation I have these facts to back me up. I really think it would be beneficial to you to take a look at this. What does every boss want? Every boss wants to look good for their boss. Exactly. And we've all got more bosses. It doesn't matter who you are. I mean, you know, if you're a CEO, you've got a board of directors. Everybody's got another boss. So I still think it's just the same, the same basic skills. And it starts with knowing yourself. It starts with knowing yourself. And knowing where your strengths and weaknesses are. And it's not about being what we used to say, conceited, you know, mm-hmm. those conceited. It's really not about that. It's it's just about having a clear vision of what your capabilities are and what your strengths are. And being willing to share them with the world. And this is not exactly the same question, but... You may know about the op-ed project that teaches women how to write and pitch yes. opinion columns to media. Um, I really to do media. know that. I'm not yeah. just saying. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. I, I figured you probably <laughs> yes. did. And But others may not. But, so. but others may not. So the op-ed project was started about 10 years ago by Katie Orenstein when she noticed that that there were only 15% of the opinion columns in major newspapers around America were written by women, had female bylines. And so she created this program to teach women how to how to write their op-eds and get them into the papers. Now, here's what she found, that women only made 15% of the op-ed pitches. So you can't get your op-ed published if you don't pitch it. You can't, you know, you're not going to get elected to office if you don't run. You're not going to get the next job if you don't raise your hand and say you want it. 
So the op-ed project has now upped that number to about 25%. So we're making progress. So one of the points I want to make is that these are learnable, teachable skills. We can learn them and we can teach them to other people. And it just requires doing it. But the real point is that what what I wanted to say is that what, what Katie says to women is, if you had the cure to can- for cancer, would you be okay with not telling anyone about it? Would you think that was all right if you had the cure for cancer? That's a great point. Well, whatever it is that you have to offer the world, whatever your opinion, your your information, your capabilities, you have an obligation to share that with the world. And, and I've never forgotten that. And, and that, that's what I would say to a young woman who might be worried about, you know, about what does she say to her boss who may not be so, so pleasant to work with. That boss probably has their own troubles and issues. And you can probably make their life a lot better by just being honest enough to lay out the facts, the arguments as you see them. And you know what? If they take your advice, if they change their behavior, good for you. If they don't, it's not about you. Exactly. And don't take it personally. And sometimes I think that's a sign that you need to be working somewhere else. Indeed. Right? Indeed. That you need yes. to make the move mm-hmm. that you're just not the right fit for. You have more to offer than this company is ready to take right. at that moment. Right. But something you said I think is really important is keep your emotions at bay whenever you're talking about a business topic that you're trying to sell your idea into. Yes. And to be able to say, this is not emotional. This is factual. This is what I know. This is what I believe. Right. And keep the emotions at bay. Right. And, and if other people don't come to the same conclusion, don't think that it's something wrong with you. Yes. It really isn't about you. It, it, it truly is not. And, and it's, it's another thing that, you know, the, the flip side of women being socialized to care about what other people think and feel, which is as it turns out, quite positive. It's actually, I think it's one of the reasons why companies with more women in their upper leadership make more money because women can read through the lines and are more in tune perhaps with the marketplace and can collaborate better in in groups because their, their egos are not quite as much on the table. So we don't want to lose the positive side of that. But the negative side of it is, is taking it personally. And it really isn't personal. It's a hard lesson to learn. It's a, we all still get into situations where the emotions are coming up and you get even choked up and it's hard to it's deal really with. Hard. It's really hard. It's very hard. It's very hard. With. Yeah. Right. Even at my age, and you're saying the same with you, it's hard. It's very hard. You yeah. take things personally because it's you, it's your thoughts and it's, but it isn't about, it isn't you. It, right. It's not, yeah. you don't have a bad idea. It's just not being received. It's not at the right time. It's not about you. So that, what I see happening a lot of times is that makes women shut up. Yes. Right. Because yes. it was like, well, they didn't like my idea. So therefore right. I don't want to bring up another one. Right. Yes. Where, where ironically a man would probably just talk louder. Exactly. Right. The thought right. that if he just just talks loud enough. Right. Someone will listen. <laughs> somebody will think his idea is good. Or you can just tweet a whole lot and somebody, <laughs> right. yeah, somebody, somebody will pay somebody, attention. That's right. Exactly. So, so, uh, so that's, yeah, that's, it's, uh, the, the, the personalization of it. And, and it, it probably is coming from a very positive place of being passionate about the issues, uh, or whatever we're dealing with, but it's really ultimately not that personal. Yes. And now we'll go to takeaways where we have questions from people from mostly young women. Mentoring moments. Takeaway. One of the big questions though is 
Will Hillary Clinton's defeat set the movement for women's leadership and overall equality back? I tell you, that is the question of the day. And you and, are just the perfect person to answer. I, I, I'm going to be I'm going to be a prophet instead of a, somebody who says I actually know the answer to that question. If we look at the fact that so many more women are stepping up and saying, "I want to run for office," clearly we can see that Hillary's defeat has not kept women from wanting to move forward. And the interesting thing is, in 2008, when she first ran for president, I believe that it did have a chilling effect. And we saw that women were just not, I mean, the the dial was not moving at all. And, And the issue wasn't that women couldn't win if they ran. It was that women were half as likely as men ever to even think about running. So now we're seeing the opposite, that there's enough anger and enough discouragement about what happened to Hillary. And everybody saw that as a woman, she was treated differently by the media, that she was disparaged in a way that no man ever would be. Her laugh, her ankles, her hair, her makeup, her, you know, everything was scutinized in a way that would never I, I'm be la- done I'm laughing not because it's laughable, but the whole ankle thing was oh, like, for me, was like, so, okay, yeah, we really? just reached a whole really? level of bizarre. Yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, what? <laughs> I don't so, even know what my own ankles look like. So, so on the, so on the very positive side, I think we are seeing a situation where women are taking that anger and despair and turning it into positive energy. And not all of them are going to run ultimately. And if those who run, not all of them are going to win. But we will see, I think as a consequence of Hillary's loss, we will see more women running for office in 2020. I think there's no, in 2018 and 2020. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, on the on the side of the business world, I have more concern because we've just seen, we've just seen the last of the African-American women CEOs stepping down. There are none anymore in the five Fortune 500 companies, and soon to be, I believe, there will be no African American men either. So diversity in general, I think, is taking a a step backward and is going to require some new, again, some new energy to be pumped in there. Another positive is that an increasing number of women are starting their own businesses increasing number of women for a whole lot of reasons because they want to be able to control their schedule because they don't want to work in the corporate culture that doesn't fit them, doesn't suit them. So they're starting their own. And some of those women are going to do really well and they need to remember where they came from. So on the whole, I think uh, there will not be a setback. I think there will be many new steps forward. And we will at the same time see I think one of the things we are seeing is that there are some women who feel they have more to lose by seeing women actually step out into powerful positions because they feel, and I think they're crazy to feel this way because you're never protected, that they feel more protected by having male leadership as opposed to female leadership because it's what we've known, it's what we've been raised with. So there's still there's still some strains in our culture that we have a lot of things to work on. We have a lot of things to work on. On the whole, I don't think women are going to be set back by Hillary's loss. On the whole, I think we're going to see a whole new a whole new group of women stepping forward. And just as we saw with the people who took the lead, as it were, uh, in starting the march, the women's march, it is younger women 
It is women of color. It is not the people who have been in leadership before. I say good for them. Go for it. Yes. And it is all about taking action, right? Whether you're running for yes. office, it's just, we just have to keep taking action. And I, I agree that I think we can see a really positive outcome from all of this. For the young women who are concerned about their reproductive rights moving forward, you're mm-hmm. having you here and not asking you that. I think they may like come and bomb my apartment. <laughs> No. <laughs> so, because I like my apartment, yes. and so do I. <laughs> Any words of wisdom to the young women who are are concerned for for well, good reason? They're, at yes, this they're point. concerned for absolutely very good reason. Well, they have good reason to be concerned. I think that we're at a moment now where it's the, the way to to move forward instead of being pushed backward is to put reproductive rights into the bigger framework of women's human and civil rights. And that, uh, I mean, of course, I've been saying this for many years. I, I, when I look at some of the media interviews that I did back when I was with Planned Parenthood, I feel like I was a bobblehead saying the same thing over and over and over again. This is a fundamental human and civil right. And, and, and the, the more it becomes smaller and just about reproductive rights, the less the general public is able to see that it's about, it's about who we are able to become as human beings. Uh, for me, the birth control pill after I had my third child at age 20 saved my life. It enabled me to know I could have a life. And now we have generations of women who have never known life without being able to plan and control their childbearing and, and men too. So to even, for them to even think about losing access is just, it's just mind boggling. And I understand that it just needs to be seen as it's not just healthcare. It's not just a, you know, a pill. It's not just access to abortion. It's about women's human and civil rights to make their own childbearing decisions, which is what enables you to play an equal role in the economy and in family life. So you don't have to be barefoot and pregnant anymore. Yes. You you can be an equal citizen, an equal human, an equal member of the family. So it's going to be up to the to to these younger women to I think to to move that whole d- debate and dialogue out into that bigger picture. And I think if they do that, this could actually be a moment where we take some steps forward instead of steps backward. And it's going to be a long road. I mean, it's going to, there's going to be some tough times in between. But it's really great advice to look at it bigger and take on the bigger, the bigger issue, the bigger mission, because then that everything plays into the bigger mission. And we yes. just have to keep taking that action. And we could just sit here forever, but I'm looking at the clock and we have to, but before we have to, we have to say goodbye to our podcast. But first, where can we find you? Oh, yes. Thank you so much. You can find me at taketheleadwomen.com. You can find me on Twitter at Gloria Felt. And she loves to tweet. Yes. As as, as Denise said, I I am a fiend on social media, so I can't resist. Uh, Like other people we may have heard of in the media recently, I have a hard time not tweeting. (laughs) So please do follow me, tweet me. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on, on, on Facebook. I'm everywhere as Gloria Felt because if I tried to be anything else, I would forget what I ever said. 
So, so you can find me anywhere. I'm very easily findable. And I do hope people will go to TakeTheLeadWomen.com and check out training opportunities that we have and our free virtual happy hours where we have interviews with accomplished women and many programs and services, uh, mentoring, uh, click on mentoring. Since we're talking about mentoring, click on mentor and you can join our glass breakers, take the lead peer mentoring platform and get a mentor or be a mentor. Hope it's a very easy to use website. I yes. Guess it's very easy. So thank you. Thank you. I'm so thankful for Tammy introducing us, Gloria, and I can't wait for our futures because I think we have a whole lot more in store for us. Indeed. Thank you, Denise. Thank you. So one of the things I love about mentoring moments are the mentoring moments I pick up from my guests. And Gloria Felt's mentoring moments are just at the top of my list of my takeaways of life and things that I will be doing. And I hope you will too. So to make sure you're getting mentoring moments the moment it's live every Wednesday, subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, rate and review. It's really simple. And check out my show notes on Forbes.com. I'd love to know, are you taking the time like Mildred did to take an action that can change someone's life? And are you the kind of person who is willing to let your actions come before your courage? And what are you doing post Women's March to keep us moving forward and moving up? Love to hear your thoughts. You can find me on Twitter. I'm at Denise Ristari. And until next week, keep sharing your stories because your stories matter. Download new episodes of Mentoring Moments every Wednesday at podcastone.com, forbes.com, the Podcast One app, or you can subscribe at iTunes. Hey, this is Steve Bertoni, host of the Forbes Interview Podcast, launching January 17th. My first guest is Adam Carolla, comedian and king of podcasting, sharing how he turned his persona into a media empire. I came from a world where nothing really ever worked out and no one ever got to do what they want to do. Not for a living. Download or subscribe to the Forbes interview on iTunes now. And don't forget to give a rating and review. Springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Everybody loves honey-glazed carrots. A great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Your Bloody Mary bar will be the talk of brunch with the vodka I'm stalking. Pile those toppings sky high. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, Total Wine & More has you covered with 8,000 wines, 3,000 spirits, and 2,500 beers at always low prices. Cheers! I'm Rita Foley with an AP News Minute. London police have arrested Julian Assange on extradition charges to the United States, as well as for violating his bail. Assange is accused of publishing classified documents through WikiLeaks. In 2010, he told Sky News he was worried about what the U.S. might do to him. The United States recently has shown that its institutions seem to be failing. Uh, they are failing to follow the rule of law. And with dealing with a superpower that does not appear to be following, following the rule of law, is a serious business. He also said in 2010 the U.S. officials had threatened him and those associated with him. There has been many calls by senior political figures uh, in the United States, uh, including elected ones in the Senate, uh, for my execution, uh, the kidnapping of my staff. Edward Snowden, the former security contractor who leaked classified information about U.S. surveillance programs, says the arrest of Assange is a blow to media freedom. I'm Rita Foley.